Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. This morning I was working on videos and uh, trying to uh, put together uh, our Exodus. And, of course, we have all those up. And we were going to be starting Ezra. And uh, we were, we've done a preliminary show on Ezra. But one of the problems with Ezra is as you go through Ezra and uh, go through all the different uh, aspects, what was going on with Ezra the same as it, what was going on back in Exodus. If we go all the way back to Abraham, we go all the way back to Genesis, there is a theme throughout the story of the Bible, the story of mankind that is represented in the Bible, is that man could eat of these tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he could also eat of the tree of life. But if he ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it meant that he was using his own brain, his own knowledge, his own ability to accumulate information, and he was using that uh, to decide what was good and evil and to figure out what was true and what was not true, what he should do and what he should not do. And your brain is inadequate for that. It's a great tool. You can do it, use it for a lot of things. It's very important. Uh, but it is not the source, and that's what trees were. Trees were sources of raw materials, of fruit, of nuts, of, of all sorts of things. But when they talk about the tree of life, they're talking about the spirit, because the spirit giveth life. And the letter of the law killeth. And the, in the physical world around you killeth. It's not going to give you life, but the spirit is what moves upon the water of your being and it is what uh, controls your DNA and your epigenetic DNA and the world around you. It's the Spirit that does that. So you want to tap into the Holy Spirit, the tree of life, uh, the Christ consciousness. You can put all kinds of different names on it, but it's all the same thing. It doesn't matter what you call it. It does not alter its existence or its reality. This is the whole thing about God being the unmoved mover. Your opinion of God does not change God. Uh, your thoughts about God don't change God. They, they may rattle the branches in your tree of knowledge and get you to see things differently than, than what you are supposed to be seeing things or the way in which you're supposed to be seeing things. And so uh, we need to turn around from that. And turn towards the tree of life. Now the problem with the tree of life. Is it also has this light with it. uh, This angel of light. Who has a light that shines in every direction. We call it a sword. But it. And when we go near that light. We can't hide from the truth about ourselves. When we tried to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The first thing we did was hide from God. The next thing we did when God called us out on that is we denied responsibility. We, man said, it's not my res- problem. It's not my fault. 
It's the woman you gave me. And people are still doing that to this very day. Is they're trying to blame everything on somebody else. And they don't want to look at themselves. In the first uh, video that we put together on Jordan Peterson's uh, Exodus panel, this is one of the first things we point out, you know, because Lewis Hadley brought it up. Know thyself. And uh, he's quoting it off a, a, a temple at Delphi. To know thyself. And, of course, knowing thyself means to know the good and bad in you. So, what uh, we're going to be looking at today is still a prelude to Ezra because the problem was, just like the problem when they went into the bondage of Egypt. How did they go into the bondage of Egypt? If I were to give you a quiz now and ask you, why and how did the people go into the bondage of Egypt what would your answer be? You think about What would you say? Well, Reuben told you why they were going into the bondage of Egypt. Why they were going to have to sell 20% of their labor to get free bread from Egypt. He told you. Because we would not hear the cries of our brother when we sold him into slavery. This is what has brought this upon us. Reuben knew why they were going into the bondage of Egypt. And of course, it's very clear to me that today, the whole world, the whole world has gone back into the bondage of Egypt. How did we do that? Why did we do that? What, what, what is the operation of doing that and going back into the bondage of Egypt because the bondage of Egypt was you didn't own your land you didn't really own your livestock they belonged to Pharaoh you could, you could keep them and take care of them and produce things with them but now you weren't herding your sheep you weren't plowing your land you were plowing the Pharaoh's land you were you were taking care of the Pharaoh's sheep now the deal was is that you got to keep uh, 80% of what you produced with those sheep or produced with that land or produced with your labor in general. 80% of it was yours and 20% of it went to the government. So in essence, it was 20% income tax when you were in the bondage of Egypt. That's that's where you were. That's That is the bondage of Egypt. But somehow or other, this new pharaoh became more rigorous. And he tells you how he became more rigorous. He hired a bunch of new taskmasters to make sure that you paid in the full amount that you were going to owe, 20%. He did not raise the 20%. That wouldn't be the contract. But the way in which he calculated that 20% was changed. And there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, what were they using as money? I just shared uh, today on um, um, one of our web pages uh, a video that somebody was making, pointing out that you know, which we have we've done whole programs on, is that Nero began to reduce the amount of silver in a denarii. Actually, Anthony and Cleopatra started doing that, but they only minor was only a minor reduction. And I've just added more pages 
explaining uh, exactly how uh, that uh, change was taking place and uh, what Trajan, on our page on Trajan, I referred to who was one of the emperors. Okay, we'll be back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So what I was talking about just before the the break was uh, this idea of Trajan, who was someone who persecuted Christians. He wasn't one of the biggest persecutors of Christians because uh, he he definitely persecuted Christians. I I just added another page about uh, a St. Ignatius of uh, Antioch, uh, Ignatius of Antioch. He was sent to Trajan to be tried, and eventually he was executed. Uh, but uh, we I've added a great deal to that page because of what was going on. Each of these people, Ezra, uh, Ignatius, uh, even Trajan, uh, there were letters to Antonius Pius by, uh, by the martyr Justin. And uh, they were all explaining Christianity. And the way in which they explain Christianity is not what we see Christianity doing today. These are all uh, first and second century members of the church before Constantine was even on the scenes. But people forget what it is that you know God has laid out through prophets like Abraham and Moses. And you can read the Bible and miss it entirely. And this was one of the problems that Ezra was facing because during the Babylonian captivity, many of the people no longer spoke Hebrew. They no longer read the Torah. They had abandoned their religion. There were probably some that were still hanging on because somebody had to come back and teach them. But there seemed to be two schools of thought as to what the Torah actually said. Which is exactly what was taking place at the time of Christ. There was at least two major schools of thought about the Torah. And all religious groups fell into one group or the other. Now, in one group, which was the Pharisees, there were many subgroups. You know, the the Sadducees saw a lot of things the way that the Pharisees saw them, although they were completely different in their approach to religion. Many of the Pharisees were very orthodox in their interpretation. And I say orthodox in their interpretation because they weren't orthodox in the teachings of Abraham and Moses, but only in their interpretation of Abraham and Moses. And the Zealots were also orthodox, But they saw a problem with what the Pharisees were doing. Because the Pharisees were accepting of certain things. The Zealots generally did not accept homosexuality. Many of them actually, they were very violent at times and warred against uh, anything that they considered to be corruption. Which homosexuality was one of them. Pharisees were a little bit more uh, accepting of that. But there were different groups amongst the Pharisees. The Sadducees were very accepting of that. They didn't seem to have, they didn't even believe in life after death. So that shows you how completely different they are. But, but if you look at what they were actually doing, 
there was another group that wouldn't do any of what they were doing, whether the, you know, virtually anything of what the Sadducees were doing, and that was the Essenes. And the Essenes were actually going often to the same central temple, although most of their religious practices were outside of the temple, because the temple was just one little spot in Jerusalem. And uh, originally the temple was a tabernacle and it moved from tribe to tribe to tribe to tribe. It wasn't a central location. The idea of making it a central location was not God's idea. That was people's ideas. They began to distort and twist what the Torah actually meant. They didn't do this all at once. They did it a little bit by little bit. The Essenes took care of all their social welfare, generally speaking, by charity. There were some groups of Essenes, or people who would call the The Essenes didn't call themselves Essenes. I have to remind people of that. That's a name that was put on them. But those that would identify with what became known as the Essenes, there were different groups amongst them. And one of those groups was called by Essenes as the lovers of soft things. And they were often the Essenes that worked in the uh, royal house of Herod. Because Herod knew the Essenes knew a lot. They knew they had a different interpretation of the Torah. And their interpretation considered the Pharisees' interpretation to be a fiction and a fraud. But the Pharisees were very orthodox about what they were reading in the text based on their interpretation of Hebrew. And this is why we go back to Ezra. When Ezra and the people were coming out supposedly because of Cyrus saying in royal proclamations that people could go back to their own communities because a lot of people had been brought into Babylon in captivity. Now they could go back to their own communities and start up their own temples. But did Cyrus really understand that, uh, you know, I've put a picture up on our page, uh, and I will eventually put it on our Cyrus page. I may have already done it. I don't remember if I've done it or not. But there's a thing called the Cyrus Cylinder. It's written in cuneiform. And on it is a proclamation that makes reference to the fact that Cyrus was telling lots of people that they could go back to their homelands, their original homelands, and set up their own temples and set up their own system of government. Now, was that government actually a free government? Because there's a lot of references in the Bible about those rebellious Israelites and Judeans. And why did they call them rebellious? What was this rebellion all about? What was setting up the temple all about? And, you know, uh, people misinterpret what the temple was. The temple was a, a, a center of sacrifice. And sacrifice was for a purpose. It was to maintain a religion. And religion was performing your duty to God and your fellow man. Well, God doesn't need anything from you. But you do have a duty to God. And that is to love your fellow man. And there's other duties like when he gave us this earth, he said dress it and keep it. So we should keep dominion over it. 
and over the fishes and over the wildlife and not give that dominion to somebody else. And we should love our neighbor as ourselves. We should love life. We should eat of the tree of life. And so that would make us more spiritual creatures than merely physical creatures that would have to eat of the tree of knowledge. So anyway, when this Cyrus Cylinder is telling the people that they can go back, there's no mention of Jerusalem. There's no mention of the Jews. It's just a general thing with lots of different people can go back and create their own temples. When the Bible writes about this, they tell about Cyrus sending them back and letting them come back. Problem is, is they didn't really know how Moses was really setting up the government system of Israel. They were reading the ancient text, they were taking advice from different people, and they were getting confused. But the book of Ezra is suggesting that Ezra knew what they were missing. And Ezra was coming back to fill in the gaps and to correct the errors that they had in dealing with this. They are the same errors that we see the Pharisees and sometimes the Sadducees and sometimes the Zealots doing. Because man's errors are often the same from generation to generation. That's what they tell us, and that's why they tell us that the kingdom of God is from generation to generation. Now the question is, are you in the generations of Cain and Nimrod and and the apostasies of modern religion, or are you in the generation after generation of those who are seeking the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God, and and therefore the way of Christ. And that is the question. These are the two different aspects. Because in the New Testament, they talk about building a temple made without hands. It's a temple made by the Holy Spirit. Being Writing the truth upon your heart and upon your mind. And so, I can't write the truth upon your heart and your mind, but I can talk to you about what's not true and what some of the problems were. Like I mentioned Trajan. Why was Trajan so upset at Christians? Why was Antonius Pius disagreeing with Christians? Why did Marcus Aurelius, who was leading the Golden Age in Rome... Who his Marcus Aurelius meditations uh, are five books that talk about individual responsibility, talk about community support, talk about morals, not being greedy, all these wonderful things that you hear about in regular churches. But he hated early Christians. This is Christians before Constantine. Christians that were probably fairly close to the teachings of Christ. Ignatius of Antioch, who goes by another name, Theophilus, uh, he was supposedly a disciple of John. So he probably had a pretty good idea of what Christianity was all about. And if you look at his life and the things that he got away with and, and uh, you know, when he was uh, held prisoner by six Roman guards who took him, were assigned to taking him to Rome. 
They didn't load them onto a ship and get them there in a, in, in a week or so. They wandered all over the Roman Empire with him <laughs> and allowed him to go and visit all kinds of Christian churches, speak there, write letters and all kinds of things. I suspect that those Roman soldiers were Christians and were sympathetic. There's no reason on earth they would have gone that route and taken that long trip around rather than just get on a ship and take them straight to Rome. And so, I mean, he was in his 70s. It would have been a lot easier just to put him on a ship and just sail right there. But instead, they literally were zigzagging all over the Roman Empire going to different Christian communities where he would be able to speak and talk and write letters and continue to preach the faith. But he was no longer in Antioch. And so that was kind of whoever sent him to Rome didn't want to adjudicate the situation. So they sent him to Rome and let Rome do it. And of course, Rome uh, ended up executing him. And one of the guys who did that was Trajan. And Trajan said things like, don't hunt out the Christians. Don't listen to anonymous reports. Don't do that. But what was the crime of the Christians? And this, what was their, the conflict with Rome? It was because the Christians had their own system of private religion. So if you became a Christian, everybody had to belong to a religion. If if you if you didn't have if you weren't connected to some religion, you were considered a vagabond or a vagrant or whatever. But of course, religion was how you took care of the needy of your society. So you would join this temple, or you know, like Herod had two temples. He had the temple of Jerusalem for the Jews, but he also built the temple of Roma for Romans and for Greeks who didn't want to have anything to do with those circumcised Jews. But both temples were performing the same function of taking care of the needy. They would give out free bread. Even Augustus Caesar sent grain and free bread to the temple in Jerusalem to give to the people of Israel, of Judea. And they they liked it. They ate it up. Because he gave all these giveaways. And they said, when I send these giveaways to my provinces... And if the day that the bread is given away falls on a Jewish holiday, they can come on another day. Because like it could fall on a Sabbath and a lot of the Orthodox uh, Pharisees would not go down to get it. They'll go get it on another day, but they wouldn't go get it on that day. Now some zealots wouldn't go get it at all. Many Essenes would not go get it at all because they knew that the free bread of Rome came from men who exercised authority. So now, going back to Ezra, people have been in Babylon. They have a system of religion in Babylon. They have temples. They have free bread in Babylon. They had free bread in Egypt. And, of course, that's how they got in the bondage of Egypt, was eating the free bread at the tables of Pharaoh. They didn't have much choice because there was no other table available. There would have been a table available, but they had thrown their brother into bondage. They'd beat him up, thrown him into a pit, sold him to their cousins, and their cousins sold him in Egypt. And people will say, well, that, that, that was God's plan so that God would have him in a place where he would accumulate this, this grain that would 
sustain them through the famine. Well, he could have accumulated the grain out there with his brothers. And then everybody would have gone to them. And they could have, you know, like Abraham, gathered all other people and told the people around about, we need to start putting up grain and we need to start building silos and and do this. God did not design that the brothers throw Joseph into slavery. They chose to do that. And because they judged it was okay to throw their brother into slavery, they themselves went into slavery. Now that is why the whole world is back in the bondage of Egypt. That is why the Judeans went into the bondage of Babylon. Is because they did not care about their neighbor as much as themselves. Whenever you do that, you set in motion the law of nature that God created. And what goes around will come around. And you will go back into the bondage of Egypt. Or worse, you know, had they contemplated killing Joseph. But Reuben was against it. But Reuben clearly stated the reason they went into bondage back there in Genesis was because they would not hear the cries of their brothers. And over and over again in the Bible, they tell you that God will not hear your cries when you go back into the bondage of Egypt, when you go under the tribute of a king, all these different things. If you pick a king, he's going to take and take and take and take. What's he taking? He's taking tribute. He's taking a portion of your labor. He's taking a portion of your your assets. And we, we talked about just in a recent program. They changed the law in March of this year that if you have an irrevocable trust, they're not going to count all the property that, you know, the estate property in that trust is exempt from taxes. When you die, there will be a tax, an estate tax, an inheritance tax which is designed to rob widows and orphans. When the father dies, they will take a chunk out of his estate. That the, Even though you have the property in a trust, this is one way that people got around inheritance tax, was putting their property in a trust. They're not going to allow that anymore. In all 50 states. It's a federal thing. Meanwhile, people are arguing about uh, debates, who's going to be our new king, our new president, our new prime minister, all over the world. Everybody's worried about that. What people need to do is start thinking differently, which is what repentance is, and taking back the responsibilities that God gave us way back in the garden and start doing what Moses was actually saying, what Abraham was actually saying and doing. And unfortunately, the modern church doesn't teach these. They're they're the blind leading the blind. So when we go back and look at Nero, we see duplications in history. There was a group of people called the Decians, and Trajan had just defeated them. And with those new money that he got, because he took all their gold and silver, he, he sold over a million Decians into slavery. And that made a lot of money for Trajan. And with that, he could go back to Rome and reform the Elementa, which was their welfare system. And it, it was the free bread, which also included sometimes cheese and wine and money and 
all kinds of supporting public education. Some of the funds went to supporting public education for those people who were eligible for that. All this was funded by stealing all the gold and silver of the Decans, selling almost a million of their women and children into bondage. And then that money filtered back into Rome and Rome just ate it up. Oh, we're going to get all this money. Great. And he also reformed he rolled back some of the, the, you know, Nero, like I said, was taking some of the silver out of the coin. All the emperors are doing this on a regular basis, uh, from Nero on at least. And it was going to cause runaway inflation. You know, uh, a modius of wheat cost six denarii at the time of Jesus Christ. Uh, it cost, at one point, it hit 120,000 denarii to buy just one sack of wheat, a modius of wheat, which is about, I think, around 30 pounds. And that was because the denarii wasn't silver anymore. They took all the silver out of the coin, and so therefore they could now make all kinds of coins. They made some of them out of lead, like the uh, Spartans did, because Spartans thought gold in the hand of the people was the enemy of the people, because the Spartans were really all a bunch of Nazis. <laughs> and, I, and now that name, Nazi, should even mean more, because... Moses was dealing with Nazis. Did you know that? Moses had to deal with Nazis. He knew all about Nazis. Way back then. And they actually called them Nazis. But sometimes it's pronounced a difference. It's, it's a god. The turtle dove goddess. Go read our article on the turtle dove goddess. What was the turtle dove goddess of, of Sumer doing? Well, they had a system of religion, a system of social welfare run through their temples by their priests who managed that system. They also had philosophies and ideologies and, and thoughts about God. But the critical thing why everybody went to church is that's where you went to get your social welfare. Today, a lot of people go to church to get their ears tickled, but they go to the government to get their social welfare. But the government is the government that exercises authority one over the other and forces the contributions of your neighbor so that you can get free stuff, which Jesus Christ forbid his followers to do. Very clearly, in the New Testament. And people read it and just go right on by. And we're saying, no, stop, take a look. So, anyway, all this stuff was going on with Trajan, but if you go back to Ezra again, same similar things were going on in Babylon. I mean, Cyrus was replacing another king that he had defeated militarily. Now people say, well, that king was corrupt. And he and, and there were probably corruption in his regime. He had cylinders. We actually have cylinders that proclamations that he made. They look like little kind of elongated footballs with this uh, cuneiform written all over them. If you were blind and you knew cuneiform, you could read the cylinder. <laughs> because all the words are elevated and so a blind person could read those cylinders. You could just hold it in your hand like a football and go read it right around the cylinder. And he had proclamations. And he was supposedly corrupt. question is, now, Cyrus gets a lot of good press in the Bible. But how good was Cyrus? I mean, today in the modern church, Constantine gets a lot of good press. You know, legalizing the church. Well, no, Christ legalized the church. 
<laughs> when he appointed the apostles and gave them certain restrictions, which in some of the new articles I put up just this week, uh, you know, I explain some of these the details of what Christ said in putting these restrictions on the early church. If you look up uh, Ignatius uh, of Antioch, you, you will see that uh, I, I have some recordings there on that page that when we originally did him, but now I've gone back and I've, I've added more to that page because I find out more as I'm studying these things. I guess we're going to another break. We'll be back to Keys of the Kingdom in a moment. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. We're kind of jumping around a little bit here uh, today, but uh, the reality is is that uh, we're going to start bringing all the different things that we've been writing about for decades and decades. I just uh, I'll probably share on our network a recording I made ten years ago, almost ten years ago to the day, and it is, it is as timely <laughs> as it would have been at the time of Christ or at the time of Ezra, and uh, also because of the fact that the Burning Bush Festival we're about to have here in uh, Summer Lake, uh, we made it about that same time ten years ago. But uh, what I'm doing in the uh, Theophilus or uh, Ignatius of Antioch page is that I'm connecting the dots. And that's an older recording as well. I mean, it's only a few years old. But we're talking about things that have been plaguing man since the garden. You know, the problems that man has been making uh, and the errors that he has been uh, immersing himself in since the beginning, since the early days of mankind. And uh, one of those things is the way in which we govern ourselves and if we begin to try to govern the world around us, to take away choices from the people around about us, then choices will be taken away from us. We see a loss of liberty today in the world. That loss of liberty is directly related to the fact that we're not actually doing what Abraham, Moses, and Jesus Christ, and all the prophets were talking about. And it's, it's just astounding that we can read these texts and miss it. But there's a reason why. There's several reasons why. And that's, we can only show you some of those reasons. But a lot of people are beginning to see and connect the dots. And when we finally get through Ezra, hopefully we'll have those dots connected. Because the years and years and years of people in the bondage of Egypt, they needed to go through hard times in order to change their thinking, which is repentance. Repentance means change your thinking. They had to take back their responsibilities. It's absolutely, we talked about it in the study of Exodus, that Pharaoh wanted to reduce the power of the Israelites in Egypt. He was They were getting too strong. They were getting too independent. They were getting... Uh, they were developing a union and discipline, which was one of the complaints of the emperors concerning Christians. The union and discipline of the Christians who were becoming a viable republic in the heart of the Roman Empire 
when the Rome became an empire, the Republic of Rome began to die. But a new republic was being formed. A pure republic. A natural republic. A republic is where you're free from things public. You don't elect a president to make decisions for you. You don't elect a congress who will make laws for you and dictate to you. That's not a republic. That's an indirect democracy. And you can, it's a very short trip from a pure republic to just a general representative republic and then a minor little step to turning that representative republic into a democracy where an indirect democracy where your your uh, legislature is dictating to you. And the reality is, is, you know, during COVID with your mask mandates and, and forcing vaccinations on people by coercing them, by threatening to lose their job if they didn't get a vaccination, etc. That really wasn't the government making that happen. But it was the corporate interests of the world, businesses. Now, the government was applying pressure. They were sending swarms of officers, you know, health officers around, citing people, threatening to take their money away, threatening to shut their businesses down. But the people had no, very little power against this. And now I hear in the news just this week that it's coming back in many places like New York. But you can't do anything about it. You can't do anything about fraud in your elections in your indirect democracies, whether in Australia or New Zealand or or, or in China. You Because you're not doing what Christ said. And this is why, now I put those audios up on at the Ignatius of Antioch's page, which I call Connecting the Dots of the Kingdom with Ignatius of Antioch. I went to our pages on him telling you about what he was doing, why he was doing it. And I could go through and create hundreds of more programs because there's a lot of writings. When he was writing those letters, traveling around with those Roman soldiers who he referred to as leopards because they were evidently from a particular group of Romans and that became kind of a code word that, that, that they were leopards uh, that were guiding him around. They were taking him to Christian churches. <laughs> We, you know, I talked several programs back about all the Christian symbols you found where Romans met, Roman soldiers met. And you would see they had a, a little codex that they would create, a little square that they would carve out. And sometimes you see it in, carved into stone, sometimes it's in tile. And it said that these are Christian Roman soldiers. Because that was one of the questions with John the Baptist. Well, the soldiers came up and said, well, how can we join your system? What, what, how can we do what you're doing? We're soldiers. We're already sworn to obey. He said, he told them what to do. That they could still be Christians. And that's a, that's really important to know. That, you know, the modern church is not teaching you the way of the Christianity. And just as the corrupt influences at the time of the migration from Babylon back up to Jerusalem, there was a corrupt element that was trying to create a temple not based on what Abraham and Moses were actually saying, but this false apostate religion looks a lot like Judaism 
I mean, they, they, they wear the same clothes and some of the same hats and they, they put on their phylacteries. I mean, Jesus was dealing with the same thing. But they unmoor the meaning of these things from their religion. And so, for you to see where they're doing this, I have to come along and seemingly attack your delusion and say, no, that's not what that means. It means something quite different. And so, and I, I've been laying this out for decades and le- decades at preparing you, and we're going to end up, I hopefully will create the whole site in PDFs, and we'll try to get them so that they will even activate audios that you can find, and you can download all the audios. I mean, you can get most of our audios on Spotify now, and uh, or, or whatever podcast you listen to. They're all up there. I was I went back ten years of audios last night and found this this one. I was just you know doing the spin thing with your phone, <laughs> and I was seeing all these audios. Is this thing? How far back do these go? And I'm going back to uh, 2013, and I saw one there, Burning Bush. So I listened to part of it last night, and I'll probably post it post it on the network, and you can listen to it. But it's the same message. It's great if you start getting these dots and connecting these dots. It's great if you start realizing the strong delusion that everybody is in. Because that I'm not really attacking you. I'm attacking the strong delusion. So that you can come out of this mass formation of psychosis where people think that they're actually Christians and they're actually doing the opposite of what Christ said to do. And they're certainly not doing what the early church was doing. So we're going to try to get you all back into that. And what I was going to talk about is the Urim and the Thummim. And the Urim and the Thummim is something that is mentioned in, you know, the Old Testament. It was, uh, it, they mentioned it first, I guess, in Exodus 28.30. It says, Thou shalt put in the breastplates of judgment the Urim and the Thummim. And they shall be upon Aaron's heart when he goeth in before the Lord. And Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel upon his heart before the Lord continually. Now they read that. And then next thing you know, they're supposedly carving the names of the twelve tribes on stones and placing them in this breastplate. And and there's other places that make reference that, you know, the whole chapter of 28 and then Leviticus 8 is talking about this Urim and Thummim. And there's all kinds of speculations. Although, when you go through and look at the commentaries, some of the commentaries say nothing about some of these verses. Some of them make some reference to it. As to what the Urim and the Thummim is. Which are words that are really just not translated. And so they've taken on an identity because of all the teachings that come along. And and they're mentioned in Ezra 2. Chapter uh, chapter 2. Verse 63. And they talk about uh, Tershatha. uh, Said unto them. And they should not eat of the most holy things till there stood up a priest 
with Urim and with Thummim. And so, you go talk to a lot of Orthodox Jews today, if you could talk to the ones back then, a lot of them would tell you, well, these are stones that are kept in a little pocket over the heart of the priest between his ephod and his breastplate. And they're shiny stones. You know, they're like jewels or some sort of jewel. I mean, if you go back in the Talmud and some of the ancient writings of the Jews, they even say that Abraham had these two stones that were given to him when he was in Ur. Well, that's what they say. Now, I I couldn't tell you if that's true or not. The biblical text doesn't really say it. But Nehemiah also mentions this same thing with you know, Tershatha said unto them that they should not eat of the most holy things. What are the most holy things? What is holy? See, I say the most holy things and you think, oh, the most holy things, what is that, like the Eucharist? Well, yeah, it is, but then what's the Eucharist? Eucharist is the Greek word for Thanksgiving. They don't translate it into Thanksgiving. They call it the Eucharist and then they apply the name to a little wafer of bread and they say this little wafer of bread is the Eucharist. This little crumb of bread is the Eucharist. But what the Eucharist is, is what the Eucharist means. It means Thanksgiving. And it's holy because it's separate. It's People would give away to their priests things that they wanted to go to help the people of society. That was charity. They don't say charity in the Old Testament. They say free will offering. They say Corbin, sacrifice. Your free will offering is your Corbin. It's your sacrifice. And they give it away to the priest class. And the priest class is supposed to rightly divide the bread from house to house. Because that's a big job. You're not going to be able to do it and go out and plow your fields and, uh, you know, disc your fields and, and, and do all these things. And then keep track of the widows and orphans. So you designate the most charitable, most giving, the wisest people in your community. You say, you take care of this deal and I will contribute to you. That's a system of religion. There's another system of religion that actually is under a completely different category. It's where you give the power to the men of your society to force the contributions of your neighbor. Now, they can force your contributions, but you think that you'll come out better because you'll, you'll make sure that your neighbor will give his fair share. That's another religion. One religion is the way Abraham, Moses, the prophets, John the Baptist, Jesus Christ, the early church operated. They operated with free will offerings that the people chose to give to the minister they chose to give it to. And it was a national system because your minister was to choose a minister and he was to give to him and therefore that would be cast up eventually to the high priest who would then, didn't need all that money. So he would wave it in a wave offering and it would go back down to wherever in the nation they needed it most. So there was the local distribution in the congregation and, and, and another local distribution in congregations of congregations. You had 10 congregations, that's 100 families. They're going to have a distribution 
with the minister of their minister. It's going to, but then some of that is still going to go up to the thousands and to the ten thousands and to the hundred and forty four thousands. And then whoever is the guy who is the best servant of servants of servants of servants will wave a right because he didn't need all that. And it will go back down to wherever it would be needed most in the community because some communities have more needs. That's the government of God. Now, the governments of the world, the governments that men create for themselves, the governments that exercise authority one over the other, the governments that call themselves benefactors but force the contributions of the people, they do something somewhat similar. All the money goes up to Washington, D.C. <laughs> or whatever is your capital, whatever country you're in. And then they trickle it back down to the people in need. Unfortunately, you have to create offices of power. Not of service, of power. They will call themselves public servants. But they have the power to force contribution. Force compliance. Coerce Compliance. That's what I call the coercive church. I had an article I wrote decades and decades ago, the coercive church, that forces the contributions of the people. And this was the debate. This was the conflict going on at the time of Ezra. Now, most people won't tell you that. But they'll also tell you that the Urim and the Thummim were rocks <laughs> in a pocket between the ephod and the breastplate. But those of you who have been going along with this for a long time know that there's all kinds of words that have multiple meanings in the biblical text. And those those words that have the multiple meaning are like liver, kidney, leaven, naked, steps, altars, stones of the altar, unhewn stones of the altar. You can actually have actual physical stones of an altar that nobody has put a chisel to, and you can pile them up and you can say, that's the altar. But if you really understood Hebrew, and you read the original text of Abraham and Moses, and you saw how the same word has multiple meanings, sometimes they give it a different strong number, uh, sometimes it has the same strong number, like in the case of kidneys. The same word they translate kidney means reins of control. You did not give the kidney to the Levite. You gave the control of your offering to the Levite. And he was the man of charity. Now when he gives to the people, people will appreciate it. Because he just gave us, we, we didn't have any food to eat. And he brought by some lamb uh, and, and shared it with us. And, and we were able to get through. Or he came by with some oils that were medicinal and helped us. And they said, we really appreciate that. But they know he was given that stuff. It's not coming out of his pocket. It's coming out of their neighbor's pocket. And they know that there's a system by which he could get into the pocket of the the Levite servant minister because they gathered together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And this is how they were a nation. Those same lines of charity became the lines of defense when they were invaded, when there was a fire, when there was a flood, when there was a famine. They had a network where they could come together in a minute because they had built 
unhewn altars of living men upon which they sacrificed their surplus and that which they wanted to give away because they know as I judge, so shall I be judged. So they know that if I put my neighbor into bondage, I'm going to go into bondage. If I, if I am gracious to my neighbor, if I'm charitable to my neighbor, then that will come back around too. They understood in Ecclesiastes, which we have the study up on that. Ecclesiastes, that you cast your bread upon the water and hope that it comes back to you. Well, if you're casting your greed and avarice and covetous practices on the water, that's going to come back on you too. And it's going to bite you because that covetous practice is biting your neighbor. New Testament. Be careful you do not bite one another through the men who exercise authority one over the other, to the fathers of the earth, to the benefactors who exercise authority. Be careful you don't bite one another, force one another to contribute to what you want, because that will come back and devour you. And you will you will not have the means to overthrow those tyrants. And you will not have God backing you. Because you abandoned, you rejected the ways of God. Now, how does God rule over you? He doesn't rule over you by telling me what to tell you. I mean, he does tell me what to tell you, but he I don't tell you what to do. <laughs> I, specifically, I can't tell you. You have to decide that on your own. Now, next week, we're having the Burning Bush Festival here. Those of you who want to come, get a hold of us, come. Uh, if you need directions, we got people flying in, driving in. Uh, maybe you can pick up a ride with somebody. Um but you need to make arrangements. And that's why we have the network. You can make arrangements through the network. That's why we have the living network. You can make arrangements through the living network. And you can come. And then we'll talk about things we don't talk about on the air. We'll answer questions sometimes deeper than we do on the air. Because Christ told us to be careful about that. Not, not tell everybody everything. But we, we tell you an awful lot. And that's why, you know, we have these, all these articles. I've added numerous pages just this week. Yesterday I was in here for 15 hours straight. I think I was in this chair for 15 hours straight. I can't remember getting up. I couldn't believe how quickly 4 o'clock in the afternoon came. It was just 5 o'clock in the morning just a few minutes ago. <laughs> but... We're, we're connecting the dots, and Ezra is going to collect the, connect a lot of dots. But we did it with, like I say, with Ignatius of Antioch. You can go listen to those recordings. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about Cirrus. Uh, like I said, I put a picture of Cirrus's cylinder up. I talked to you about the uh, documents of Mari in previous show. Uh, Twenty to thirty thousand plus uh, documents showing you how these governments operated. The government of Ur. Uh, the government at Mari the, and what they were doing. Well, that is very valuable to know because history repeats itself. All those civilizations are gone because this is the thing. As I said at the beginning of the show, is that, uh, I don't know if it's in this recording because of our technical difficulties, but, uh, well, I, I, I do address it in the videos that we're going to be putting up at His Holy Church uh, YouTube page. Is that many of these religions, you know, like the Ten Commandments, if you go back and you read 
the 60-some commandments in the Maharat, which was the commandments of the priests of Egypt, basically they cover the Ten Commandments. They're just, the Ten Commandments just kind of sums it up into a very short, quick statement. And they're talking about the cause and effect built into creation that if you don't take care of your mother and your father, honor your mother and your father, which of course there's another one of those words because it actually says deliver. You are supposed to deliver your mother and your father because the same word for liver is the same word for honor. So when they're talking about the sacrifice and they're talking about the liver and what you're supposed to be doing with the liver and people are there cutting it up and getting it ready and doing all these rituals, they're missing the actual meaning of the text. Because they're talking about the kidneys, the, the control goes to the Levites, that this is a gift actually given to God so it becomes holy because the word for rump is means gift from God and the word for liver means an honor. It's something also given. And so you got to put all these together. It's all there. But anyway, we'll be back to Keys of the Kingdom in a minute. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, what is the Urim and the Thummim? The Hebrew Bible, the Urim, you know, is spelled Elifav Resh Yad Mim. It's said to mean lights. And uh, the Thummim is said to mean perfection. You know, it's Tav Mim Yad Mim. And uh, whenever you see, and because you see those that extra mem there that suggests that it's plural. So it's perfections. It's perfection in a number of ways. It's a completion in a number of ways. So are they actually talking about some rocks in a pocket on his vestments? Or are they talking about a, a priest that has a light in him that shows evidence of that he is eating of the tree of life? And, and that he is able to receive the light. He has this perception of the truth, he, that he sees the truth, and that uh, he does this on many levels, perfection, completion on many levels, not just one level, but numerous levels. And so, theoretically, if you were looking for the highest servant among servants, you would eventually get to somebody who would meet that qualification. One of the high priests that uh, I I consider to be uh, a person of light and perfection, it was John the Baptist. There was nobody closer to being a rightful high priest at that time than John the Baptist. And we've explained the technicalities of this. And all, all Christians should know this. All ministers should know it. But they stop looking. Uh, they, they get something that they're told in the seminary. I was told a lot of things in the seminary. Uh, but then I said, but yeah, then what is this? What is he talking about here? You know, like when John the Baptist says that Jesus is the one that is to come after him. So, but we know by later texts in the Bible that John the Baptist did not know that Jesus was the Messiah. The Messiah, the anointed, that means the king. And in order to really seat or sit in the seat of Moses, or remove people from the seat of Moses, and put other people there in the seat of Moses, the seat that Moses created, 
you had to have the authority of Moses. In order to have the authority of Moses, you had to have the authority to appoint the high priest, his brother, and the authority of literally the Moses, the, the king of Israel. But Moses was a king that would not rule over the people. A common theme, you see. Gideon, I and my family will not rule over you. They carried out a position for a while, but right away we see Moses not even sitting in the judgment seat. That he, he, he was turning it over to the people who were gathered together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. He, he was sending responsibility back to the people. They had to take care of one another. They, you know, they weren't going to be dependent upon man all the time. They had to take care of one another. Christ is doing the same thing. But John the Baptist was the son of a high priest. We know he was a high priest at least for a period of time because he had been in the Holy of Holies. And that supposedly Zechariah died according to the stories. And we see Jesus even making reference to the blood of Zechariah. So John the Baptist would have been the legitimate high priest because he's the eldest son of the guy who was the high priest. Until you could pick another high priest, you would have to accept John the Baptist as the high priest. He would inherit that office of his father. You could pick another one through the tens, hundreds, and thousands, but they were already corrupt. We tell you about the stories of the fact that the Sanhedrin at that particular time, walked out because of the corruption that was going on in the government of Israel. This is before Jesus' ministry. They walked out. And, of course, a new Sanhedrin immediately formed itself, but that was not the legitimate Sanhedrin. When Jesus appointed 70, he was appointing the new Sanhedrin. What was wrong with the old one? It is assumed legislative power. That's when Israel was going from a pure republic, and they they kind of balked at this at different times for you know more than a hundred years before Christ. But when they started giving their representatives the power to become lawmakers for them, then they were changing the nature of government. Now, the legislation in the legislators in the United States have always had certain power to make laws, but they couldn't regulate every aspect of your life. There were limitations. They were, you know, like the first executive order of George Washington. He was ordering dishes. That was an executive order. <laughs> he was ordering dishes so that they could have dishes to have meals on when they had people of state coming to visit them. That's what executive orders are for. They are not the supreme authority, moral authority of your life, like Bill Clinton said in one of his executive orders. This has been a gradual moving away from what made America great, which is the individual responsibility to something else. So, why am I addressing the Urim and Thummim in, in this? Is because Ezra is going to... Ex- address the same thing. Uh, Joseph Smith even claimed uh, he translated a book of Abraham from Egyptian papyri which supposedly says that the prophet Abraham used Urim and Thummim given to him in the city of Ur. That's one of the places that you get it. Now I, 
I don't consider that Egyptian papyri necessarily authentic. I don't even know where it's at. I don't know if anybody's even ever seen it. But uh, there are other references to that. But the fact is, is I don't think that Urim and the Thuman are actually objects. I think that they are, it's about a spiritual reckoning within the individual. But it's very difficult to tell who has that, who is really of the Holy Spirit, and who is of another spirit. Because we know that evil, the adversary, can appear as an angel of light. It can be very deceptive. So, James tells us, not by what they say, by what they do. But, of course, the Levite couldn't rightly distribute the bread from house to house until the people were regularly con- uh, contributing to the Levite. And it's the same way with the early church. Now, when you got the baptism of Christ, Christ eventually arranged this. We see it in John, that if you got that baptism, you were cast out of the Corbin of the Pharisees, which was the social welfare system of the Pharisees. All the congregations of the Pharisees in their system were ten family congregations. They were networked up, but they were also registered. They were also had people who made sure that they contributed their fair share. We we name these people. We name the name of their office, the Gabai and the Molkai. And of course, this is what they were going to be trying to set up. Some people were going to try to set up when Ezra comes out of Babylon. And the people come out of Babylon. Some want to go that way. Some want to go back to the ways of Abraham. Where the altars are not hewn. The ministers don't go up by steps. They're naked. They have no authority. If they're going to be given any authority. The people have to give them the authority. Which is why they tell. The people have to sew their breeches. Give them a covering. Because otherwise you will see. They have no authority. They're naked. Has nothing to do with underwear. And the Urim and the Thummim have nothing to do with rocks in a pocket in your ephod. Your ephod isn't even really an ephod, and your breastplate really isn't even a breastplate. Now, you might make those physical objects, and you may have certain rituals and ceremonies, but if your rituals and ceremonies are about things, you know, objects, you've entered into the realm of witchcraft. Because you don't find the kingdom of God with magic objects. You find the kingdom of God by repenting, thinking differently. How do you think? How do you know how to think differently? You can't figure that out from the tree of knowledge. You can only figure it out from the tree of life, which comes in the form of God writing upon your heart and upon your mind. That's how it operates. Israel was this nation of peculiar people. What made them peculiar is that there was no forced taxation. Everybody owned their land. They were in possession of themselves. But they knew that they had to take back their responsibilities that they didn't have when they were in Egypt, that they didn't have when they were in Babylon, and they didn't have, and they don't have today, whether they live in the... uh, nation over there in the Middle East called Israel or whether they live in the United States. We do not take care of the needy of our society 
through free will offerings. We do it through forced offerings. And we've given the government the power to take away from our neighbor in covetous practices so that we can have free stuff. We have to address that. And not just by thinking about it or listening to a recording that connects these dots, but actually by becoming doers of the word. By sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and putting in the time, putting in the energy to find out who can actually be the servants of the people, for the people, and by the people. And we have to keep them servants, not give them power over us. We can give them power over a denarii. <laughs> or two denarii. They do good with that, you can give them three denarii. Christ gives us a parable about that. That if you do well with this, we will give you more. And that's a process. And that's why you need to gather in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start exercising that responsibility in developing that process. And people want, well, where's the congregation near me so I can start doing it? Well, we have a network where you can find out who's near you. But they have to reveal themselves. We're not going to give you everybody's address. But they have to start sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And this is, you know, did the return to Jerusalem succeed or did it fail? Did it become corrupt or was it a success? Well, with some, I believe it was a success. But it's very clear in the text that with some, it was a failure. That they just created another temple like the King Cyrus, like Babylon. But they created it in, in Jerusalem. And it, this is an individual deal, but you, you have to let the Holy Spirit fin out who is not a part and who is a part. So anyway, uh, like I said, I have a page, Urim and Thurim. We talk about things are things. And the, uh, the Urim and Thurim are not rocks in your pocket. And rebuilding a stone temple was not in Jerusalem was not the answer. Uh, that uh, burning up sheep on piles of rocks, whether they're hewn or not hewn, is not what the altars were all about. Taking boxes of leaven uh, for seven days and storing them over at your neighbor Goyim's house is not getting the leaven out of your house. Because leaven doesn't... We have an article on leaven now. We have articles on piles of stone, which is about altars. And, and of clay and stone, because some of the altars are clay altars. They're not stone altars. What is that? Those are symbols. It, it's not about, you know, having separate plates for your milk and your meat. You know, seething a goat in, in milk. Uh, even a goat is not always a goat. What the kingdom of God, God is about is your conversation in the world. How you relate to one another. How you govern yourselves with one another. In order to do it, you have to come together with others who want to have the same conversation along the lines of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the gospel of Moses, which is the gospel of Abraham. Certainly the gospel of John the Baptist. 
the good news of these men were trying to teach us how to live in a free society. It's very important to do this because during the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, when when your emperors were spending too much money on foreign wars, uh, legalizing immoral behavior, uh, that was a big problem. They were uh, influencing the educational system. They were funding the educational system by selling other people into slavery, by this inflationary money that they brought in. All this was going to mean the destruction of the Roman Empire, just as it means the destruction of the world that you now live in today. But Christians actually not only fared well during this period, despite the persecution, they actually thrived. They thrived so much that the greatest corruption came in with Constantine in 300 A.D., where Constantine created a new religion that he called Christianity. It had bishops. It was kind of organized uh, in the same way. It took care of the religion of the people who became these new unrepentant Christians because he, he just required that they get baptized. He didn't require that they repent. In his, in his Edict of Milan, he just said he had to get baptized. And of course, he, they immediately began to pick bishops who were controlling the flow of grain into different cities uh, because they were taking care of the social welfare system of the Roman Empire. It was now going to require more contributions from the people, but it was jump-started by men like Constantine, who had millions and millions and millions of dollars of silver and land and everything that he could give this new church. And they took it willingly, even though we know he had this because he killed his partners. He, he, he wiped out entire cities and confiscated all the gold and silver, sold the people off into slavery. And because of that, he had enough money to jumpstart his new church. We see Cyrus in debates doing the same thing in Ezra, which we will go through. This is not new. This is not an unusual thing. And so... We have to guard against that. So it's not enough to start repenting, turning around, thinking another way, gathering together and starting to take care of the social welfare, the social safety net of your society through faith, hope, and charity. But you also have to guard yourself against the same pitfalls these people faced at the time of Ezra, at the, the time of the early church, and we will also face. That church of Constantine didn't really get growing strong until around a thousand years after Christ in the period of time around 1066 and we explain all that that's where they really started getting their power and a lot of their power came from men they would crown over other men the church is not supposed to be crowning tyrants kings and dictators because to the church there is another king one Jesus the only one that we are to crown is the individual heads of families. And it isn't that we crown them, that we accept that they have a crown. They are king in their own home. They, they are back. We're setting the captive free, returning every man to his family and every man to his possession. We're not sending men under the authority of other men. But in order for men to get that authority back, those rights, those liberties of choice back, they have to take back their responsibilities.
and they have to wean themselves off of the gifts, gratuities, and benefits, which are the greatest destroyers of liberty. So, all we're doing is giving you the opportunity of gathering together, and we're showing you how it worked, how people strayed from the way it worked, and how you can get back to the way it worked. But you have to walk that mileage. You have to go that way and return to the ways of Christ. And unfortunately, most of the churches are just tickling people's ears. They're making them feel safe. They're making them feel good. But they're still going to the men and to a system that is based on coveting your neighbor's goods. And they could come out of Babylon. Uh, Don't emphasize that. But emphasize, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because we're still in that stages. But the lessons that you're going to learn are going to require hard times. And that's the good news today. Hard times are coming. (laughs) So we're going to have great opportunities to learn to be the kingdom. And uh, and we may have to pay our tally of bricks in the meantime uh, and glean in the field at night for our straw. But it's very clear that we're back into the bondage of Egypt. So, in another section under our Urim and Thuman uh, conversation, uh, we go, go a little bit deeper into the what is traditionally referred to the Urim is, is, has this meaning of light and the Thuman has this meaning of per- perfection. Uh, even though they were considered stones by some, it's very clear from the text that they are not actually rocks. Uh, whether they're glittery or not. Now, there there could be actual rocks that represent that. And we can explain that, and how this was used as a... Uh, there's rabbis who referred to it as a, a means of uh, meditation. And there's an actual instrumentality. But we'll save that for the Burning Bush Festival if you want to know more about that. You can ask me at the Burning Bush Festival. We won't say that over the uh, over the air. And explain how that works. But basically what it is. Is the light of God. The the tree of. You have to get close enough to the tree of life. That the light of God starts to flow through what you say. What you do. On many many levels. Because we can be corrupt on one level. But not corrupt on another. And but the more. And the idea of the high priest. Becoming the servant of servants of servants. Every time you go that way, you open yourself up more to the uh, Holy Spirit. Clearly, Moses did. He did so much that his face shone with light. He, they actually had to put a piece of cloth over his head because people couldn't even look at him. Uh, that's that's amazing. But he actually wanted to step away from that responsibility and then it was given out to others like the 70. And others started taking that. We're not doing that in our modern churches. You know, I actually saw a few minutes of the, uh, what do they call it, the presidential debate last night. Wow, wow, that was crazy. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I could, it was this pandemonium. These are the guys that are going to rule your nation. How did some of those people even get up there? You could tell that some, many of them were absolute consummate liars. And uh, 
yeah, they're Republicans. Uh, I'm sure we'd see the same thing on the other side, maybe worse. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. I mean, you know, what what comfort do you have if you're only on the fifth level of hell instead of the tenth level of hell? <laughs> but, no, I don't want to say anything bad about your leaders, but I'm saying something good about this other king, one Jesus, that he came to set the captives free. Moses did. They're both telling you to do the same thing. But sophists have broken in to our thinking and got us so that we can't even see the way of Christ. Which is why it's important to go back to the Old Testament. People say, well, the Old Testament has been done away with. If it was done away with, why are they always quoting it? But anyway, till then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.